Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast on Blue Wire. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited to be joined today by sports anchor and reporter for NBC Houston, Vanessa Richardson. Vanessa talks about how her first opportunity at a jazz and classical music radio station in college helped propel her to where she is today and highlights how there is no set path to a career in sports broadcasting. She also talks about the importance of trust when building relationships, having a thick skin, and her top interview tips. Beyond that, Vanessa shares how growing up with a father with MS opened her eyes to the importance of creating a more inclusive world for those with disabilities. This episode is really special, so make sure to subscribe, rate, review, and enjoy. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining me today for Get My Job. Tracy, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. I can just tell already. Uh, so let's let's just jump right in. And if you could start by taking us through your professional journey to this point. Yeah. Um, so I'm fr- originally from Terre Haute, Indiana, which is about an hour from Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I grew up loving sports, knew that I wanted to be a reporter. I didn't go to a high school that had radio or TV. I mean, I, I was the like editor-in-chief of the yearbook. But when I showed up to my freshman year of college, I went to University of Indianapolis, which is a private Division II school on the south side of Indy. I kind of thought that everybody would be on the same page as me. I guess like had no experience and I was wrong. Like I was in class my freshman year of college with a bunch of people that had done four years of radio and TV in high school. So I remember feeling like I was kind of behind when I thought we would all be fresh and beginning. So I went up to one of my professors and said, hey, how can I catch up? And he said, well, I mean, the best thing to do would be to get a just a job at the local radio station here, long story short. So I ended up getting a part-time job my freshman year of college at an FM radio station in Indianapolis. And it was actually a, a jazz and classical station. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it really was. So I, I actually like low-key started liking jazz and classical music. But um, <laughs> but that meant that I got to cover the Indianapolis Colts and go mm-hmm. to training camp. That meant I got to cover the Indianapolis 500 as well as a few Pacers games. So it was really cool. So I would, yeah, you'd hear me uh, on Friday nights throughout college, like you're listening to jazz, smooth jazz with Vanessa, <laughs> like trying to <laughs> do the sultry voice. Um, but it was a great experience. So I got to cover, you know, professional sports as a freshman in college for a radio station, which was really cool. So I did that and um, just kind of kept adding jobs on while I was in school. So when I was a uh, junior, I was hired by the Indiana Pacers to be their in arena host. So I was the girl on the jumbotron that would say, Pacers fans on your feet, you know, getting the mm-hmm. crowd hyped. Um, and I would interview any celebrities that were at the game. And that was a lot of fun. That was really good live experience uh, as a college student. I think anytime you can get any live experience, that was great. So I did that for the Pacers. Um, Indianapolis Indians, which is the Pittsburgh Pirates AAA affiliate. I was the announcer for them. And then I 
I, like I said, just kept kind of adding gigs to that. So I was the sideline reporter for the Division II basketball tournament. I uh, did some more radio uh, for Bob and Tom, which is a comedy show in Indianapolis. That was kind of weird. Never thought I'd do comedy, but I was their <laughs> quote unquote sports correspondent. And then, yeah, worked at that jazz radio station and um, kept covering pro sports and then obviously was working for the Pacers. So I got to cover the NFL Combine that was in Indianapolis as a college student, which was pretty crazy. And uh, yeah, just really took whatever I could get as a student. I just I think everybody's different. And I found that I just learned a lot more out of the classroom than I did in the classroom. So it probably depends on your field, too. But I think Mm -hmm. that's most likely true of, of the majority of people that want to get into media. So, uh, yeah, I was, I was announcing one of those Indianapolis Indians games that I was hosting and met a guy and his wife and a a group of people during a rain delay that, uh, they said, you know, what do you want to do after this? And I said, well, I'm a senior in college, but I want to go into broadcasting. And it turned out that his cousin was, um, an executive with Hearst media Okay, And so throughout my senior year, I would email his cousin and get feedback and kept doing that. And at the end of my senior year, this guy basically said, look, we don't have any full-time sports jobs in our company right now, but we have a traffic anchor job in Cincinnati, which is about mm-hmm. two hours from Indianapolis, so not too far. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do that, we'll let you do sports and you'll also do some news and Yeah. So I was like, okay. So I I had anticipated um, doing the small market thing and going to a really tiny town and all that, but it just kind of worked out where instead of going somewhere super small, I got to go somewhere, a a medium sized market, but I was doing a bunch of different things. So Mm -hmm. I did traffic. I did, I would get up at 2am, do traffic for the morning show (laughs) Then stay and do either stay and do news or take a three hour nap and come back at night and do sports. And then I was, yeah, I was just, it was, it was my sleep schedule was not great. <laughs> um, I was a zombie. But then I, on the weekends, I would do some sideline reporting for the OHSAA state tournaments. I would, uh, I did some stuff with, I would continue to come back to Indianapolis and do stuff with IndyCar. I would go down to Kentucky and cover the Quaker State 400 for NASCAR. So I freelanced a little bit, but yeah, I did kind of like the, um, I guess, jack of all trades when I was in Cincinnati. So I was there for two years and then um, wanted to really appreciate it all that, but obviously wanted a more consistent sleep schedule. I don't know if it's ever consistent, <laughs> in media. but uh, there was a full-time sports job in Houston, which is obviously a, a nice big market. I had never lived anywhere but the Midwest, but I was like, let's do it and moved here. And uh, as this full-time sports reporter, and then um, I anchor on Saturdays and co-host our sports Sunday show on Sundays. So I've done that since August of 2019, so almost two years, and that's been great. I mean, I moved here, started covering the Texans, immediately covered the Astros World Series, which they lost against the Nationals, but to cover a World Series was incredible. And then um, the month after the 2019 World Series is when the cheating scandal broke, 
And the cheating scandal was, of course, from 2017 when I was not here, but the scandal broke out in 2019, right when I moved here. So um, immediately started covering that. I was going on the road with the Texans, kind of just covering all the pro sports teams here in Houston. And then I was able to build some relationships and get uh, an exclusive with with Jeff Luno, who is the GM of the Astros. And he kind of just opened up and um, wanted to tell his side of the story. So we did a special on that. And um, yeah, then covered JJ, the mass exodus, if you will, of the DeAndre mm-hmm. Hopkins trade and JJ Watt leaving. And then James Harden and Russell Westbrook wanted out from the Rockets. And then, uh, yeah, so it was just like, it's kind of like what I had actually a coach who I will not name that was like, you know what? Vanessa, you might be bad luck. <laughs> I moved here and everything fell apart. But yeah, so I've been here for two years and, and I, it's crazy covering uh, pro high school and college, but I like it. So that's my way too long answer of how everything has transpired. Not too long at all. And you follow me on social media, so you know my feelings on the Astros. So we won't get into that because I don't want to hurt your you are well, a Houston sports here's, reporter. Here's what I tell people, though. Like, I'm not from Houston. That's and, true. And I did not work here when the Astros won that World Series. Like, I think people that aren't really big into baseball – don't necessarily understand the timeline. Like they won the world series in 2017. The scandal broke out in 2019 after they lost that world series. So I didn't cover that group of guys. I'm not from here. I grew up a Cubs fan, but people think, people think that because I did this big interview with Jeff Luno, um, the former Astros executive that I must be an Astros fan. It's like, no, no, no. Like I just built a relationship with him and his wife and he wanted to share his side of the story. And <laughs> um, So yeah, I'm probably more unbiased than people give me credit for, but, uh, but yeah, obviously it's when you work for an NBC station, you're, you, you have to be unbiased. You can't, yeah. you, you can't um, really take a side either way. So that's, that's what no, you I'm definitely, at. you definitely cannot, but I don't want to get you in trouble with those who watch all of your reporting. So <laughs> therefore, so, sweet. <laughs> so I will keep it to myself, but anybody who follows me on social media I, knows my, I'm, I'm a buddies. So we I are social know. media buddies and I'm a big Dodgers fan. So of course <laughs> that, you know, is a big, that's where the, the, uh, my my vitriol, my alter ego against the Astros comes from. You know, um, oh, sorry, but I just, I do want to say, like, I was at that game last year, which was when there was no fans and mm-hmm. when Joe Kelly stuck his tongue out and all the... I have a t-shirt. Have you seen my post? I have seen your t-shirt. I've seen your little trash cans. And here's the thing. Here's what I say. Regardless of where you stand on anything cheating related with the Astros, regardless, the interactions between... Joe Kelly and the Astros and Carlos Correa absolutely laying into Ken Rosenthal and being like, I'm glad you asked that. And everybody defending Jose Altuve and all the back and forth, regardless of where you stand on any of that, part of that is what makes sports fun. Right? Absolutely. Oh, like, absolutely. Part of, you know, again, I'm from Terre Haute. My boss with the Pacers was Larry Bird. And the back and forth between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and the back and forth and the smack talk, as long as nobody is getting hurt. I mean, it's like that is part of what makes sports fun. So that's the other thing I tell people. It's not like, are you not entertained? It is. And that is what makes it entertaining. And the the fact that like that I even 
would go to, uh, so I went to a Rangers cause I'm between Dallas and California. Um, yeah. so I went to this Rangers Astros game in the Joe Kelly shirt, as you said, with my little trash cans, even that is what makes sports fun. Like <laughs> I ordered Lego trash cans on Amazon to take them to the game. Like you, that is, you, you know, that's part of the fun of it. That's it it was, yeah. Fans. It's like, it's, it's extra, but that's what it is. And again, yeah. like, because we can break down and, and we could have a discussion about who else was cheating. Was it really that bad? Were they really the only ones? Why did Mike Fires, you know, when he did mm-hmm. that, why did he have an alternative agenda? Whatever. It's been discussed at length. Everybody has an opinion. But part of the back and forth is what makes sports fun. And so I always yes. try to, like, remind people of that is, hey, at the end of the day, like, in basketball, in football, in what, you know, whatever, when you're watching the Olympic trials the other night and Shakari Richardson points it, you know, and, and is mm-hmm. and knows she's she has it with 30 meters to go. Like, I, I just think that it's important that people remember, again, not that it was all sunshine and roses. I know uh, some players took it harder than others. Some players had more strong feelings than others. But part of that back and forth is kind of why we watch this stuff. <laughs> Well, and like Joe Kelly will forever be a Dodgers legend because of that, 100%. you know, and that, and it like kind of solidified him in that role that maybe, I mean, I've always loved Joe Kelly, but like that maybe he wouldn't have before and he will forever be like a legend among the fan base. And that is what makes it fun. And you brought up Larry Bird and I think of the last dance and the interactions we saw between Absolutely. Larry Bird and Michael Jordan there. It's, that is what make sports fun. And I, I want to talk a little bit more about the Jeff Luno interview when we, when we get into, you know, kind of how, how you interview. Um, But I want to go back to some of the things you were talking about from the start of your journey, because I think it's really important to highlight, like here you are in college, your professor says to you, like, you should get a job at a local radio station and you end up at jazz and classical music. (laughs) And I bring that up though, because (laughs) I think we can all get, and we talk about this on this podcast a lot, but we can all get very laser focused on what we want to do. Yeah. And you took an opportunity a little outside the box, but what it did for your career is amazing. And maybe you wouldn't have gotten that if you had been at the top sports station in Indianapolis as an intern, you may not have had those same opportunities. Absolutely not. And then to be working for the Pacers in college. So I just would love for you to talk a little bit about that because generally through, there was like a theme throughout your journey. And that theme was taking opportunities that may yeah. have been a little outside the box, but that were just life-changing. Not to be dramatic, you know, but they were. Well, one, they were 100% life-changing. Um, here's the thing. You literally, this is going to sound oversimplified, but you, in this industry, you literally just have to go for it. Like, mm-hmm. You have to walk up to executives. You have to send people your reel, even if you think it sucks. You have to just go for it um, because that's the nature of it. It's competitive. It's so um, I think for me, what you it's basically what you just said was I wanted to be hands on and I have nothing mm-hmm. against internships. I, I did one in college, but for me, yeah, I wanted to be at Colts training camp. I wanted mm-hmm. to be at the, you know, Brickyard 400 interviewing Jeff Gordon and all that. And if that meant that I had a big role at a random jazz and classical station, like that's, um, that's part of it. And my professor did a really good job. They have a, we have a relationship with that station. Our our school does. So it's, I think that's important for people to hear is, um, 
just kind of making it happen and going for it. And you're, you're not going to get picked for every job opportunity that you have. But when you talk about Tracy being laser focused, um, one of the pieces of advice when I, when I've had young women reach out to me is I always say, it's great to have a specific goal. Like if you Mm -hmm. know that one day you want to be Michelle Tafoya and you want to do football on NBC, there's nothing wrong with that. But you got to have an open mind about how you get there because you mm-hmm. just you don't know when an opportunity is going to be available. Mm-hmm. You don't know when an opportunity is going to be open. Whose contract is running out? Who decides to leave? You know, who's hiring? So you have to have, I think, an open mind about what you do and getting that hands-on experience. And then it's ultimately who will take a chance on you, right? Right. Um, That's a big part of it, because other than acting and modeling, this is probably the most subjective business ever. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you want to be a nurse or a lawyer or a teacher, and this goes back to what you were saying about the the jazz and classical radio station, if you want to be a nurse or a or a lawyer or a teacher, you know exactly what you got to do to get there. Mm -hmm. And. In very important part. I am not saying that being a reporter is harder than being a nurse or a lawyer or a teacher. <laughs> I'm just saying if you want to be a lawyer, you know that you have to pass the bar and go to law school. If you want to be a right. teacher, you know you have to get X amount of credit hours and student teach. And if you want to be a nurse, you know you have to go to nursing school and do clinicals. There is absolutely no set path for this thing at all. Like mm-hmm. you have like Katie Nolan who had a popular blog and YouTube page. And then you have like Nicole Briscoe and uh, Sage Steele who hosts sports center and did the local news thing. And then you have people that have done regional. There's like no set path. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm on a soapbox, but it's basically what you said of you have to have an open mind and just take the opportunities you can get. And in my opinion, Take the ones that are that are kind of hands on. That's what really helped me. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's really good advice. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about your interviewing. You are literally an award an award winning journalist. So, um, so I think you have lots of nuggets to share. Um, so, I'd love to talk a little bit about what you find to be really like the three most important points you want to get across in any story, and then. After we talk about that, I do want to bring up the Jeff Luno interview because you talked about building a relationship with him and his wife. And relationship building is obviously such a big part of being a reporter. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about building relationships and about, you know, that particular interview and going about it. But we'll start with what do you find to be the three most important points you want to get across in each story? Um, I think for me whenever I do a story or an interview, you want the viewer to know why it's important. And sometimes they already will. Like if you're doing a one-on-one with Tom Brady before he plays the Super Bowl, like you don't have to be like, hey, this is an important interview because it's the Super Bowl. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) But but, uh, for like, a you know, if you're telling a a high school player that – has an amputated leg or is, is dedicating their season to their mom who has cancer. Obviously you want the why to be there mm-hmm. and you want them to say it. Like you don't want your voice saying that you want to ask them questions that have them open up. You want them to say 
why it's important and why people should care. So I'd say the why is very important. Mm-hmm. And then um, you want to share their side of it and their opinion and, you know, always interview, uh, remembering that the interview isn't about you. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that because I think all reporters are arrogant. I'm just saying, I think that sometimes that can be a good thing to remember, Hey, this isn't about me. This is about them. So right. why it's important Number two, I would say just making sure that you share their authentic, raw side of things. And then um, I don't know if I would say the third thing is if it is something like how people can help. Um, mm-hmm. If it is a cause, if it is a, hey, so-and-so is is dedicating their season to their sister that died of leukemia. Here's how you can help. Here's how, you know, th- I think that's really crucial too because – Viewers do have a heart and they do want to help. So yes. <laughs> um, I, I always I always say that too. So yeah, I'd say those are the three things, just the why and their side of it and then how somebody can help. I don't know if that's a good answer, but. It, well, it, it is a good answer because it's your answer. So it's definitely yeah. a good oh, answer. Wow. <laughs> so this I think. Me, Tracy, you really No, are. but it's true. I mean, it is. I think it's funny. I, I say that to friends a lot when they're like, I don't know what to do. And what if I make the wrong decision? You know, whatever it is they're talking about. <laughs> and I always say like, you know what? On these particular situations, whatever you, decision you make is the right decision because you made it. Yes. And that's it. And so you're the reporter. And if these are the things that are most important to you in a story, then they're the right answers. Plus, Love you it. won several awards. So you're doing something right. I appreciate uh, it. Absolutely. So let's talk about the Jeff Luno interview and talk about a little sure. bit about relationship building. And then I think that interview is a great one to highlight because you are dealing with a sensitive subject. Yeah. And people do have very strong feelings about it. Um, and I listened to, there was a podcast on it that I listened to and, and they talked to Jeff Luno a lot. And I think he feels like he was maybe unfairly, um, yeah, scapegoated, scapegoated. And so I think there's a, there's a sensitivity to an interview (laughs) like that. So if you could talk about first the relationship building side of it and kind of tips you would have for that, and then kind of that interview and how you deal with something that's somewhat more sensitive in that way. Yeah, relationship building is key in reporting, and you always hear that. But then you have college students that are like, what the heck does that mean? (laughs) Right, right, yeah. You know, it's whether you're a sideline reporter, whether you're working at a regional network, local news, whatever, um, you want people to trust you, Mm -hmm. and you want people to like you, and you want people to know that you're not necessarily out to get them. And here's where that gets a little tricky is if you are a Adam Schefter or Diana Russini, or you're at a local news station and you're trying to break news, I mean, they have a reason and, and you know to be a little hesitant on what they tell you. So relationship building is key, especially for people that are trying to build sources and break news and all of that. So for me, I mean, I think the the approach has always been, I'm very, very authentic. Um, but I also try, you know, keep it professional. And that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But, um, you know, for me, it's like, I'm not going to date any of these athletes. I'm not going to, um, cross a certain line, but I also want them to know that, you know, if they tell me something and they say, this is off the record, they know that it's not going to be reported. So, Relationship building is key and, and um, how everybody goes about it is different. It can be as simple as just introducing yourself to somebody. It can be as simple as, um, you know, setting up a story and then from there trying to get to know them. But 
it is something that you always hear because, you know, again, even if you are, I know uh, something that a lot of women want to do is, is sideline reporting. And even if you are doing that, well, you're not trying to break news in that case, you right. know, or if you're a team reporter, you are absolutely not trying to break news. It is the exact, your job is the exact opposite of breaking news mm-hmm. for that team, but it's still, you're going to have better interviews if you get to know people. So yeah, it's an important piece of it. And the thing that you never want to do is, is be the person that when you call an athlete or a coach, they know that you want something and that you're, you know, that you don't care about anybody as a person and you're just trying to get the story. So I think that's a balance. I think you want to mm-hmm. be authentic, um, but you also want to be professional. And that's a that's a line that you got to walk and, and make sure that people know that you also have to do your job. Um, as far as the Jeff Luno interview, yeah, that was something that I met him, met his wife, um, kind of built a relationship with them and, um, you know, made it clear to them that that this was an opportunity for them to share for Jeff to share his side of the story for sure. And he was ready. And, you know, it's the, the number one question I get asked by the men that worked in this market that have worked here for 30 years is, well, how did you get that? You know, why did mm-hmm. he pick you? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, because he trusted me because mm-hmm. he and his family trusted me sharing their side of the story. But they also, to Jeff's credit, Jeff let me do my job. So I asked him about Brandon Tobin, about the, the um, assistant mm-hmm. GM of the Astros that had to be fired when he said some insensitive things about domestic violence in the lot in the clubhouse. It was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I asked Jeff Luno about that. I asked how, how could you, you know, you say you didn't know, how could you not have known? There are people that will say, there's no way you didn't know. And then he explained it. And I said, you know, look like what evidence do you have? So the other takeaway from that interview that I think is very important for young women to hear is that not everybody is going to like what you do because yes, that's true. I had people that said, I mean, the, the, uh, the people that I actually trust, like the people that work for ESPN and Fox men and women, they, they all said I, I did a good job. So for me, that's like, okay, I'm good. But a, you're going to have people that are jealous of the fact that you got it and not them. Of course. That's just how life works. And second of all, you're going to have people that, you know, say, oh, she's an Astros fan, which again is not true. I'm literally not from Houston. <laughs> um, and, and how, you know, why didn't you bang on his coffee table and call him a cheater and tell him that he's a fraud? I'm like, that is not how journalism works. No, and that's, that's unprofessional too. I mean, you can't right. do that from... You know, there's the uh, being authentic and you want people to trust you. And also part of trusting you, you're going to ask tough questions, but you cannot bang this coffee table and tell him he's a fraud. Like that's not your job as a journalist to do that. That's that's why I always say, how do you build relationships? How do you it's like be authentic, but also be professional. I ain't saying it's an easy line to walk. I'm just saying you got to walk it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's part of it's part of the job. It really is. And again, when you are a team reporter and you get to do and you're, you know, and your job is not to break news when you are a, you know, work for a regional network, it's a little different. Um, Mm -hmm. When you work for a news station or a news outlet such as ESPN or whatever, your job is not to be friends with everybody. So, uh, yeah. So 
that was the thing. And I got, you know, good feedback from everybody that I actually trust that actually knows what they're doing. But I definitely had, um, you know, some people from <laughs> other teams that were like, well, why, why didn't you call him a cheater and all that? I'm like, yeah, it's just not how it works. It's just, no, it's definitely, <laughs> it's, it's not, but, but you also not. bring up an interesting point And I think a good point, um, you said, you know, you got good feedback from the people you trusted. Of course, there were the people that were jealous. How do you balance that? How, cause it's, I mean, we're all human right. and, we all, I think we all are in the position where you can get 100 people saying something great. And then one person says something very negative and that's, it's hard not to focus on that. Um, But how do you find that balance? Yeah. You know what I find is that like, if I'm having a good day, it doesn't matter, but it's like, if you're already having a bad day and then everything piles on and then someone says something to you, that's when it bothers, bothers me a little bit, but. Which is fair. You're um, human. (laughs) You know, I don't think there's a a solid answer other than I think you have to have thick skin, but give yourself some grace Mm -hmm. and every now and then just realize, you know why this is not sitting well with me because I am a human and because I don't like mean things being said to me and that's okay. Um, So yeah, just giving yourself some grace, but for the most part, realizing again, you could take one low level psychology class and figure out very quickly in chapter one that people that are miserable projected onto other people. Misery loves company. I mean, and that's that term is a lot of these cliches, you know, really there's a reason they exist. Wait, what did you say? I didn't hear it. I said, misery loves a hundred percent. And it's like, it's all these cliches, like they exist for a reason. And that one is 100% true. Yeah. Like it's, it, again, it's like chapter one of a 100 level psychology class that just like people that are miserable, proje- are miserable and projected other uh, onto other people and people that are happy with their life and, uh, you know, satisfied with where they are, f- do not feel the need to do that. So, Very true. um, so yeah, you, you have your people that you trust and you ride with them. And then I think everybody else, you just, is kind of background noise, I guess. Yeah, I think that that's I think that's the best way to to think about all of these things. Uh, so uh, switching gears a little, actually a lot. Um, you've talked uh, you've talked a lot about having a more inclusive world for those with disabilities. Yeah, and how you did as a child watch sports with your dad, who was mm-hmm. a stay at home dad due to an illness. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about those experiences and how they shaped you as a person and then as a sports fan? Yeah, great question. So my dad um, is in a wheelchair. He has multiple sclerosis. So he it's a very progressive disease. Um, it's one that's underfunded and not really known. There's not enough research done on it. And so mm-hmm. he had to quit working when I was two. And my mom, who's incredible, was able, you know, she got her PhD. She's the dean of a college. So she's like an OG boss. It's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um She's awesome. But yeah, so I would come home from school and my dad and I would watch sports. And then the Indianapolis Colts actually trained pretty much in my backyard for 10 years. So they trained in Terre Haute. Yeah, they trained in Mm -hmm. Terre Haute from 99 to 2009. And that was Peyton Manning, Reggie, Marvin, Jeff Saturday. Mm -hmm. So that was like incredible. And my dad and I would would walk there. And that was back when it was twice a day, every day, full pads. Mm -hmm. Um. And so, yeah. And then he was a big Packers fan because the Indiana didn't have an NFL team until my dad was in his late twenties. So he had grown up liking the Packers. And, um, 
So we went to Lambeau Field. And so it was just kind of our thing, you know, racing the Indy 500 and IndyCar is huge in Indiana. And so um, and then basketball is everything. It's what Texas football, you know, high school football is in Texas. It's like Mm -hmm. basketball in Indiana. So, yeah, I grew up uh, loving sports because of him. And then just ultimately, you know, certain things things that are personal to you um, end up impacting you in a very real way. So mm-hmm. seeing that the world is not handicap accessible, the world is mm-hmm. not made for people um, to accommodate people that have a wheelchair and can't fit inside of a restroom or, mm-hmm. you know, when an elevator's broken and everyone's like, well, let's take the stairs. Like some people can't freaking take the stairs. <laughs> and, Um, you know, even to go as far as to say people that have like, you know, autism, the world is not very inclusive for people that are sensory. So just creating a more inclusive world with inclusive opportunities, um, and, and, and place people have gotten better about it and it's become more visible. Um, but yeah, that's something that I am very passionate about is creating a world that, um, is more inclusive and there are opportunities for kids that have limited abilities to be able to go to a playground or play in a sports Mm -hmm. league or do something and not feel like they have to be on the sidelines all the time. And certainly for, for adults as well. So I think that's something that is very important to me. And I uh, definitely appreciate you bringing it up. And it's something that you can see, you know, every couple of months, if, if not more than that, I'll do a story on, uh, you know, a league or, you know, when I was in Cincinnati, I volunteered with the Miracle Leagues. And here I've done stories on athletes that, you know, I did a, a story on a middle schooler who had lost her, had had to have her leg amputated due to having cancer and how she still ran cross country. So all of that is is very close to my heart, very important to me. And are there certain organizations that you support or that you would want our listeners to kind of pay close attention to? Yeah, thank you for for saying that. MS Society, for sure. Um, They research multiple sclerosis, and um, there's the MS walk every year. So that's something that I think, um, you know, people can do research on. And just, you know, neurodegenerative diseases in general are underfunded and um, under-researched, and that's Parkinson's, Huntington's, ALS, MS. So... Uh, looking into those and just, again, like trying to make it a, a more inclusive world, I think is, is key. I uh, thank you for sharing that with us too. And thank you for sharing your experience. I think that is something, um, that we don't talk enough about. You're so and sweet. Thanks for bringing that up. Absolutely. And I think it's fantastic that you do a, you do stories on this subject every couple months. Cause of course that's what helps to bring attention to it. Yes. So yes. thank you for your work on that. Um, we are switching gears again. That seems to be my phrase of the day. But I wanted to, and this kind of goes back to some of the stuff we were talking about earlier, but we didn't quite get specific. And I ask all of our guests this every week, and I just think it's really important. I only I bring that up because I don't want our listeners to just feel it's repetitive, but I think it's important to hear different people's stories around this mm-hmm. and understand that <clears throat> criticism isn't always a bad thing. So, is there a constructive piece of criticism you reser- received early on in your career that was tough to take, but ultimately ended up being very helpful for you? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, criticism early on in my career. Yeah, criticism isn't always a bad thing. You got to 
watch who you get it from. But I remember my boss at the last station I was at in Cincinnati. This is so funny. I don't even know if I've ever thanked him for this, but I probably should. He said something along the lines of, because I was moving to a huge market, you know, Houston's a top, top 10 media market. It's like anytime you're in a top 10 market, like Miami or Chicago or Philly or, you know, Dallas, it's very fast paced. And so Mm -hmm. He knew that I'm I'm very like Midwest and that like I'm always cool with people. I'm very like lighthearted and all that. And he said something like, you know, the thing that you might have a hard time with is not everybody's going to be cool and nice once you start climbing towards the top. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? And but he he's right. I mean, so I I don't know if that's a criticism as much as just like. Uh, he was telling me, hey, one thing you might have a hard time with is as you climb the ladder in this industry, people can be petty, people can be rude. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, really? Like, I don't know about that. But I think anytime y- you've had probably somebody that works in a bigger market or is on network television on this podcast, they've probably alluded to that is that they gets, it is an industry where people can be competitive and and cutthroat so just hearing somebody say like that that might be something that's a little bit difficult for you because you are always cool with everybody and you do Mm -hmm. kind of vibe with that you know that that's I don't know if that's a uh what kind of what you were getting at but I would say that that was one thing that I heard that at the time I thought I don't know about that and then like no it's true (laughs) well and I think it's um you know you don't want people to feel like you don't want people to like go into every situation on the defensive by any means. But I do think it's important to know who you can trust. And I also tend to be like a very nice, trusting person. And not everyone is that way. And it's just important to know who you can trust and who you can't. And it kind of goes back to a little bit of what we were talking about earlier with feedback and knowing that sometimes people give feedback that really is not in your best interest because they are jealous or whatever the situation may be um, and knowing who can be helpful in that way and who they can't, who can't. So I think it's, um, I think it's an important point to bring up because if you are a kind of just genuinely warm, friendly, trusting person, it's important to remember that not everybody is like that. And so just to, to, to be aware of it. It shouldn't cloud your every day, but yeah. it's something to be, I think it's something to be aware of. Well, even, and even people like I definitely have a backbone. I have no problem being confrontational if need be, but still it's like, oh yeah. You, you know, hearing that when you're in your early twenties, you're like, right, really? But yeah. yeah, I mean, you gotta be able to, you gotta be able to throw something back. That's for sure. Absolutely. And I think that's important too. Like, you know, we talk about a lot, especially in the last several years as women being able to defend ourselves and, and stick up for ourselves and, and ask for things that we feel entitled to. And being entitled, being entitled to something is not the same as being entitled. Does that make sense? So you can be entitled to a raise or promotion because you've worked really hard and that doesn't mean you're entitled for asking. Right. Did that come out? It absolutely, absolutely Um, came out. So I think those are, those are all very important things. As you've grown in this industry, how have you seen opportunities change and grow for women and how do you feel we can still improve? Uh, Yeah, great question. When I was really consuming a lot of 
television, you know, when I was growing up. So when I was in elementary school in the, you know, 2000s and, and middle school or whatever, um, it was pretty much just women on the sideline. And then, you know, every now and then you would have somebody like Hannah Storm that was multifaceted and um, there, you know, but it just wasn't super common. So mm-hmm. where I've seen opportunities grow is I think just people realizing that women can be more than the chick on the sideline. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing there, that, that is not a knock on sideline reporting. In fact, if you ask most women that want to be on air, what they want to do, it's that. And that's fine. I'm just saying that now it's nice to have women that, um, our analysts that are hosts and that are hosts that actually give their opinion. Um, and then, yeah, like we've talked about, we, you and I talked a little bit before the podcast, but women behind the scenes, women that aren't on air, you know, now we have women making decisions at CBS and Fox. So I think it's grown. I mean, there's still a, a ways to go, but, um, seeing women in different roles rather than just saying, Oh, there's a game and we'll stick a woman on the sideline and that meets the quota. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have to have women in, in all places. So yeah, a ways to go, but it's, it's been nice to see that part of it. So before we get to five fun facts, um, can you take us through a day in the life of Vanessa Richardson? Yeah, I think you probably get this answer a lot, but it kind of just depends on what I'm doing for the day. If I'm in studio, like if I'm anchoring on a Saturday or hosting our show, Sports Sunday show on Sunday night, um, I mean, I'm I'm going to go into work a little bit later at like 2 p.m. because the shows don't, you know, our early show is at 6, our late show is at 10, and then mm-hmm. we have our sports. So, um, yeah, get up, get some coffee. Uh, that's my fuel as it is a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I try to work out, um, every day. Eh, sometimes it doesn't happen, but, um, <laughs> you know how it is. So yeah, get up, work out. Um, I always call my parents a couple times a week or FaceTime with friends just cause most of my friends do still live in the Midwest and I'll, okay. um, and uh, if it's game day, though, if I'm reporting, so if I, it's not a day where I'm in studio, if I'm out in the field, that's a little bit different. And it all depends on when that Astros game starts or when that Texans game starts. The funny thing is you do your prep for those games throughout the week because you're in the clubhouse or in the day of the COVID uh, on the Zoom call. So. Mm-hmm. I usually, for an important game that I'm going to cover, I'll keep like a Google, uh, Google Doc. Um, okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's wake up, work out, shower, and then look over that game, you know, the notes for that game that I'm about to cover. What did this Texans player say was going to be the hardest thing about this matchup? Or what did this Astros player say? Um, and then, yeah, you get to the ballpark or the field and you do your live shots. You watch the game. And then while you're watching that game, I'm, I'm big on Google docs. So you keep a Google doc of the storylines, um, questions to ask and post what you can do for a digital angle. Um, sometimes digital, the nice thing about digital is there's no time limit. So you can be a little more long winded to where on TV, you can't say everything you want to say. So yeah, keep, keep a Google doc of the storylines and all that. And then, um, you know, done covering the game and do your live hits, 
and that's that's again like I said that's a game day if it's a story where I'm going to shoot a feature it's a little bit different wake up shower whatever try to work out um and then prepare for that interview and and come up with some thoughtful questions but be ready to pivot when um you know if if the subject of the story says something interesting and then you turn that story or you log it and get it ready for whenever it's going to air. So the thing about working um, in a capacity where you're covering a lot of different sports, Tracy, and where you have some different roles, you know, I might anchor one day, host our show the next day, and then report for the next three days is every day looks a little bit different. So just kind of depends. And that keeps it interesting. It definitely does. <laughs> um, people ask me, they're like, what do you, what, like, what do your days look like? I'm like, I, you're going to need to be more specific. Right. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> which, which day exactly. So when I ever, when I ask people, it's like, whichever day you want. But I, li- I really do like that you gave us a variety because I think it also kind of drives home a little bit the idea for women or men listening to this who want to get in the industry, how different every day could be. Mm-hmm. And that that's something that's something you should be used to if you want to work in this industry and be okay well, with. Yeah. And again, like it is, it depends on the, like I said, it depends on the nature of your job. You know, if you only covered the NBA, then during the NBA season, you're probably not going to sleep a lot. And then when the NBA is out of season, that's when you can take some vacations and all that. Yeah. Um, if you cover all sports, then it's like, it just really does depend on the day. And so, yeah, there's, there's no good answer when you're in broadcasting. <laughs> well, I think, well, actually, but I think that that kind of is the good answer. Is yeah. that, you know, that, I think Could that be. works. Um, well, thank you, Vanessa. This has been so fun. Of course, speaking of fun, I cannot let you go without um, our oh. five fun facts, because that is one of our most fun parts. Let's do of it. Podcast. So without further ado, five fun facts with Vanessa Richardson. Vanessa, what is your favorite moment in sports? Oh, this is a great question. And I think I'd have to approach it from as a fan versus what I covered. Um, As a fan, it was really hard to beat uh, the Colts winning the Super Bowl. And then also when the Cubs won the World Series, just because I have a Mm -hmm. lot of, you know, we grew up Cubs fans and and that was just such a long (laughs) Uh, long wait. So I'd probably say one of those two. And then as far as what I've gotten to cover, covering the World Series was amazing. So um, yeah. And then just as an Indiana girl, I'm kind of giving you a lot of different answers, but the Indianapolis 500, just all the pageantry and the tradition, and there's really nothing like it. So on an annual basis, covering the Indy 500 is always just, just incredible for me as an Indiana kid. What is your life motto? Um, I don't, can we cuss? <laughs> um, I, would, <laughs> I, I, I will say it's, uh, I saw this on Facebook the other day, so I can't say it's been my life motto my whole life. <laughs> it made me laugh so hard and it's do no harm, but take no crap is what we'll say. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Well, then we don't have to put a little, um, Asterisk on the podcast or be uh, <laughs> do no harm but take no it's you know it starts with an s but we'll say yes crap. do you know i think that's crap. it's and a good uh, it's a good one actually yeah i say that because like i always like don't get me wrong the quotes about like be kind or you never know what someone's going through or everybody is fighting a battle you know nothing about be kind oh that's all great and i mean that but like i don't i'm just not in the business of like telling women they need to be nice all the time <laughs> right so, which is 
Fair. Um, especially for this industry. So well, there's a difference between be nice and don't get impatient with your barista who's doing the best <laughs> they can and taking crap from someone. There's there's a very those are very different things. Large, <laughs> large difference. Yeah. So I think, you know, the idea. The, I, so I think that's that's totally fair. Yeah. Uh, what is your go to workout when you're trying to get those workouts in? I just I ran cross country all throughout middle oh, school, and high school. So just running, which if anybody has any recommendations, let me know, because I've been looking for something. Um, I liked Orange Theory, but I almost want something a little. I don't know. Something like in between. So something that is, I've been looking for something. Maybe I need to try Pilates. I love um, Pilates and I love bar method. Okay. So I was going to ask you, what's yours? So I, um, I would say my two, or I guess my three main ones would be bar method, Pilates and Peloton. Nice. Okay. So you're a Peloton. I'm a, I'm definitely a Pelotoner, but I will say bar method, I think is just, such an incredible workout. And I just feel like it changed my body. Bar, bar method and Pilates, I think like really changed my body and Peloton is such great cardio and it's so much fun. So I love doing it. Um, but if you were trying to find something new, that's kind of in between give bar method a shot. I will. I'll be interested to hear what you think. I'm a big I fan. will. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. But uh, running is the boring answer. But what I mean, but I, I think running is also great and you can do it anywhere, which is the benefit, which is a cool That's benefit, true. which is, you know, which is nice though. I will say with bar method during COVID, I was doing it on zoom pretty much every day. And that really, fabulous okay. too. Mm-hmm. so there's that. I would recommend going to some actual classes though. Cause so that you like know what you're doing before doing it on zoom. You said you'd recommend doing what? Going to actual classes though. Oh yeah. To kind of learn the technique. So then you can do it on zoom and like, right. Know what you're doing. Um, so there's that. Uh, what is your go-to coffee order? Um, okay. So I'm super lactose intolerant. So I just do, which is like totally TMI and I'm sure your listeners are going to be like, okay, cool. Uh, (laughs) I just do, uh, usually an iced Americana or a cold brew with, um, some, maybe some vanilla syrup in it. Nice. That sounds delicious. And last but not least, a book every woman should read. You know what I really liked, and it, it gets you in your feelings a little bit, um, but I liked The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown talking about, uh, I mean, I just, I think every person should read that because it talks about vulnerability, shame, unpacking some things. Um, it's a deep read. So if you're looking for a lighter read, maybe not that. But I, I did like that, um, just kind of the society we live in where we all feel like we're connected because of social media, but we're really not. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I really like that. So The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown is my, uh, is my book recommendation. Fantastic. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining me today. Tracy, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This has been fun. Absolutely. And if you guys like what you heard, which I know you did, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. Talk to everybody next week. Bye, all Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.